All right, class, we are on day two of our read out loud of The Truth as Told by Mason Buttle by Leslie Connor. We are on chapter 33, and the title is Extinct. On Monday in the swoof, Calvin is on the big couch again, or in it, folded. He leans over his own legs, looks at the caves of Lasco on his tablet. He shows me the pictures, animals. I can see the black horse, the felines, and then everything else. Very big. I say, whoa, whoa, holy cow, what is all of that? Calvin says, well, it is a holy cow, sort of. It's called an arrakis. It's like an ox, but the ancestor to our cattle. The arrakis is extinct now. You know, gone forever? I get that. I tell Calvin, same thing happened to our apples. Did you know? Some varieties are gone for good. Calvin looks at me. Really? He thinks. Then he says, that's a crying shame. I think it's nice how Calvin cares about our apples. So I say, but you know what? There's some they thought were gone, but it turns out they're still around. Like really old orchards. And there's people trying to find them again. Maybe bring them back? Calvin says, well, good. They should. I look at the pictures of the Arrakis, and it starts me wondering if there could still be at least one left. Somewhere. Anywhere. Calvin tells me that about how to spell it. I thought it might end with an X. I hear one, but that's not it. I say, that's my favorite. Of all the cave animals. That one right there. I touch my sweaty finger to his tablet. Leave a smear on the Arrakis. Calvin doesn't care. I don't get why I get such a feeling about that animal, but it's like me. Like, if he had to come to school, he would be the biggest thing in the hallway, like me. And I feel like I'm him, too. I feel just as huge. I feel all red and brown. Not sure if someone would understand what I mean by that. It's like from the inside to the outside. It's the strong part of me. Like I'm full of heat and power. And if I could meet the Arrakis and touch him, I bet he would feel warm too. Calvin is making a plan about the root cellar. Knows what he wants to put on the pale walls and on the floor below our light shaft. I lean down, talk quietly to Calvin. I say, hey, can there be an Arrakis? Can it be me who paints it? Calvin says, of course. He makes big eyes, round little nose holes, and then he nods, head and shoulders, like he's got a big giant body of that Arrakis, even though he's tiny Calvin Chomsky. I'm thinking of something to write. No one's using the dragon, so I move to the squatty desk and set up. Tissue ears and potato fists. I rest my head, close my eyes, and I talk to the dragon. So, um, I went by there again, the tree fort, just walking Mooney Drinker home. Seeing it does not get any better. I pretty much know that now, but... Um, there is something that does feel a little bit better about the rest of my life. It feels like there might not be as much bad luck all around me. It feels like it's turning, changing, or pushing back. Like there might be some cave where that stays now. Things probably don't work like that, but my mind shows me it like a picture. The best thing is by busy doing busy work. Um, I mean, with a friend. I think it's why I like being... Suddenly, Annalisetta Yang is beside me. She yanks the tissue out from under my left ear. Her hands are curled up, but they're quick. She lifts the headphone and says, Hop off, Mason! It's my turn to use the dragon! I'm on the schedule! 
I bang my knees on the underside of the desk. I'm trying to get out of her way. I know I'm not on the schedule. So I stand up. She moves right in, rolls her crocodile over my foot. She says, oh, sorry, Mason. I think she means that. Miss Blinney sees me getting up from the dragon, and she says, oh, come and talk to me now. Wait, do you remember how to close out your profile, Mason? And Elizetta says, I just did it for him. She settles in. Miss Blinney double checks that and says, okay, but Mason, try to remember to close yourself out. And Anna Lizetta, maybe next time you should give Mason a little more time to wrap up. Then she points to the lava lamp and says, Oh, cool, a giant mushroom, you guys. Don't miss it. I watch the red mushroom. Slow rise. It splits into two and makes hot orange halves. Then I go around to the bookcase. I sit down at Miss Blinney's desk, and we talk about how things are going. She asks about home, and I say, Home is good. I'm thinking about the root cellar. I tell her about Calvin Chomsky and that I have a project, but I do not tell her what it is. I don't give up the root cellar, not even to Miss Blinney. She looks at the top of my head and says, Hmm, have you been painting something? Big teeth smile. And I say, Yes, I smile back. She says, Awesome. You have got a good buddy in Calvin, don't you? I nod. Yep. I tell her that Calvin doesn't mind things about me. Not the sweat, not the reading. He doesn't mind the way that it is at the crumble down. I say, he's good at explaining. He looks up everything. Does it on that tablet of his. She says, yes, I noticed that. Calvin's quick on that tablet. And you know what else I'm hearing? She makes a big giant smile right at me. She says, he's got a good friend in you too, Mason. Then she asks if Lieutenant Baird has been by. I tell her yes, but no. Then I explain about seeing him on the edge of the road on that perfectly good Sunday morning. My bad timing. Miss Blinney tilts her head and says, okay. Hmm. She drums her fingers on her chin, and I wonder if she's thinking what I am thinking. If he hasn't come lately, he will come soon, just like he said. I sit up all of a sudden and say, Miss Blinney, could you help? I've got to print something off that dragon. She says, oh yeah, sure we can, right after Anna Lizetta finishes up. And I think this, good, I'll have something for that notebook, something for the lieutenant. Chapter 34, The Lieutenant. Tell you what, if you think on something, you can bring it right to you. Not always, but sometimes. And it might be something you don't even want. From the window of the bus, Calvin and I see cruiser number 003. The white and blue stripes parked at the crumble down. So can Matt and Lance and Corey and everyone. That whole bus gets quiet, except for Lance. He says, ooh, the cops are at Buffface's house again. I slump in the seat next to Calvin and I whisper. I tell him, there won't be any chasing today. No apple throwing. Not with the lieutenant there. Calvin whispers back. He says, I'll try not to be too disappointed. I say, bad thing, though. You can't stay while I talk to him. So can you make it on your own? He says, it's like you said. They won't chase after me. Not today. I'll wait on the porch in the mouse chair. When the coast is clear, I'll sneak down behind. I'll make sure no one sees me. You can meet me later. I nod, and I say, I know where. Then I sit in the kitchen on the black and white note 
with the black and white notebook in front of me, orange pencil sticking out of the fold. And in that same fold, I put my papers from the dragon. Grandma looks at those, just quick, curious. And then she starts to clean. This is her thing to do while the lieutenant is here. She slides all of her canisters forward, toaster too. National public radio is off. She drags a damp rag along the back of the kitchen countertop. The door has been shut on Shailene. But I have seen before that she cracks it open and puts her eye or ear to the slot. Eavesdropping is what it is. Uncle Drum leans on the wall near the door. Mug of afternoon coffee in his hand. Lieutenant Baird has one too. Paper cup. Both of them eye those dragon papers. Lieutenant says, So what is this here, Mason? You're typing some of it now? I say, yeah. He says, well, I'm glad to see this. He picks it up. He reads pretty fast, but it seems long. I wait and I swallow. I dry my face on the shoulder of my shirt. And he says, okay, okay. It's a little rough. Not quite what I'm looking for. I think I know what he means. It's not enough about Benny. It's my story. I have not gotten all of it down yet. And I don't think he'd be interested in the dragon, so I don't tell him about how it is that I'm typing. He says, but this is more than you've given me before, in writing. This shows that you can do it. He's a little loud about saying that. Funny thing I'm thinking here. All of my talking comes out for the dragon. The lieutenant is the opposite. He interrupts is what he does. Then my talking comes to a halt. He says, well, this is good. Very good. He pulls out his phone and takes pictures of my pages, and then he looks at me. You liked Benny and his dads, huh? I say, I like them a ton. I still do. He says, you did some chores there, build some things together. And I say, lots of times. I painted trim. I helped build the rock wall. I always liked helping with... Lieutenant interrupts again. He says, Mason, do you know that you can still help Andy and Franklin? That makes my chest warm when I hear it, and I say, I can? He's nodding. And I say, you mean work there? Like on a rock wall again? His nod turns into a head shake. No, he says. What they need is a different kind of help. They need to know what happened to their boy, Mason. And there goes that warm thing in my chest. Gone. And I feel stupid for not knowing this. The lieutenant wants help with his puzzle. A puzzle about how Benny died. I catch Grandma making thin minnow eyes at the lieutenant. I don't think she likes the way he said that to me. She balls the dish rag under one set of finger bones. Uncle Drum stares into his mug. The lieutenant says, Now, I know you say you found found Benny at the bottom of the ladder, but what about just before that? You have something more to tell me about that. I know you do. I take a paper towel and blot my face. The towel sticks. I let it. Underneath the towel, I start to see ugly green, and I think this. There is not more. I was eating my supper. The Kilmartins called to see if I knew where Benny was. I said I would check the tree fort. I ran back through the orchard, and I found him there. I've said it all before. I can't do it again. I don't want to see Benny that way I saw him then. His neck. I don't remember how it was to make him try to breathe. I know I did it wrong. No air was going in. You shut your lips over and breathe. It's supposed to work that way. I know it was too late. I held Benny in my arms. I could feel it. His life was gone. I drag the paper towel down my face, just slow, and I see pools of murky green. 
I wad the wet paper towel in my hands, and I think about what I told Miss Blinney a long time ago. I said, I want to help the lieutenant. It seems like there is something I'm supposed to say that will put his puzzle together, like magic words that write themselves in glitter spills. Something, something to make him stop coming and seeing me. She was drawing a swirl in the sand garden on her desk when I said that, and she stopped still, looked at me, serious face on her. She said, hey, Mason, I'm going to tell you something very important, okay? Her eyes were on me. I don't ever want you to invent something for the lieutenant just because you think it'll make the question stop. Only tell the truth, okay? Promise me. And I did promise her. Now, Lieutenant Baird says, Do you like to play jokes, Mason? Do you like to laugh? I breathe. I say, Well, you did ask me that before. Same thing now. Not that good at making up jokes, but I do like to laugh. Yeah. And I was thinking this. Does anybody not like to laugh? Now, Uncle Drum speaks into the kitchen air, just quiet. He says, Mason's right. We've been here with all of this. You've seen his pages, the writing. I don't think he has anything more to tell you, Lieutenant. Lieutenant Baird raises. Chair legs scuff the floor. He taps a finger on the notebook and says, Keep writing, Mason. I like that. Go ahead and keep it up. Keep all about your friend Benny. Good job. Uncle Drum steps to one side to let him out the door. Grandma sets the dish rag on the sink. I wipe the paper towel ball along my neck, and I look at Uncle Drum. The green stuff thins down to something kind of washy, and he says, You did fine. You always do. Chapter 35, One Stuck Window. Shailene bursts out of my old room and says, Whoa! Thank goodness that cop is finally gone. For once, I agree with Shailene. I need to go to the bathroom, she groans, and I need some fresh air. Man, close that door for too long and it gets stuffy, she fans her face. Hey, Mason, that window is stuck shut again. I say, yeah, most of our windows are. She makes bug eyes at me and says, well, can you open it, please? Don't use that tone with Mason. He doesn't deserve it, Grandma says. But Shailene is gone into the bathroom, and I'm off to Jimmy open that window. The sooner she's happy, the sooner I can get outside. I want to catch up with Calvin. I stop to look around my old room. Shailene has transformed it in a bad way. Stuff everywhere. No place to set your feet down. The TV shopping channel is blabbing on about some filigree necklaces, 18 karat gold, or whatever that means. I mumble back. How did some 18 turnip gold, some 18 rutabaga gold? Then I start kicking aside the brown packing papers, step over a cardboard box and then another. My foot lands on a sheet of bubble wrap. Pop, 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 bubbles. What is it about bubbles and clear stuff? Wasn't there something important going on that had to do with bubbles? That's when it happens. Lieutenant Baird comes and my brain runs blank. I lose time. I scoot two boxes along the floor so that I get, can get to that window. I look out and see the lieutenant's cruiser, number 003, rolling out onto Swaggertown Road. And I think this. Good. He won't be back until the end of the apple season. I'll bet you that. I try to open the window, and Shailene's right. It sure is stuck. 
I turn my face to one side and grip the sash. I jiggle it, rock it, grunt at it. While I'm doing that, I can see the an o- unopened box. The one with Shailene's plastic saucer salad chiller in it. What a stupid thing that is. The picture shows it on the outside. Nothing but a huge plastic bowl. Who needs it? Ha! The window shoots up with a bang. Then it sticks there. I reach right down for the box with the salad thing in it. Scoop that up and push it right out the window. Done. Just before Shailene sees. I walk towards her as she comes back into the room. I point my thumb behind me and say, Got it. Got that window open. Then I point at the TV TV screen. I flick my finger at it and say, Look at that. Some 18-carat filigree necklaces. Look, Shailene. She looks. I slide by and I'm out of there. Chapter 36. Capping the Shaft. Calvin reaches both arms around the salad chiller bowl. Out of the box. He tells me, Mason, this is perfect. It's the cap for the shaft. And I say, I know. I wasn't even looking for it. But then there it was. Calvin says, the universe is amazing. It knows what you want. And sometimes, just sometimes, it hands it right over like a gift. I think this. I'm not sure about the universe because, well, sometimes things are gone. Bing, bang, boom. So then what is there to say about the stuff in the universe that it takes away? I try to think, what is the opposite of a gift? Well, we have this salad chiller bowl, and I guess Calvin's right. It is a pretty great gift. Calvin looks it over so wide. It seems near as big as him, but everything is near as big as Calvin except all the things that are just plain bigger. Thinking of the bowl as a gift makes my heart rest easy. I do feel bad for stealing off Shailene. Seems wrong on one hand, but I'll tell you what, she won't know it's gone. I draw my, dry my face on my shirt and then my hands on my pants. Calvin asks me, so how'd it go with a lieutenant? He asks this like he wishes he didn't have to. I say, same as every time. I ask Calvin, You know why he comes? Calvin shows a little bit of a mouth twitch and says, Well, he kind of told me before. It's about Benny. I say, Yeah, the lieutenant has questions for the investigation. He thinks I can help him because I was there, like before and then after. I wait. Then I say, And Benny was my best friend. So I guess you know from the poems. And me talking about him, and the lieutenant wants me to write it all down. It's hard for me. I feel like I told him everything, as best as I can. Might do it better if he didn't interrupt. Calvin nods. Being interrupted is the worst. I say, yeah, it is. I don't really know what more to say about it anyway, so at least now I can tell it to the dragon, and the dragon doesn't interrupt. Calvin nods. But we don't say anything more about Benny. No more about the lieutenant. We spy out the root cellar door, and the coast is clear. We go up to the top and try the salad chiller bowl out. We set it upside down over the top of the tube. It doesn't sit so straight. Slips over to a tilt. No matter what, Calvin thinks we need adhesive. I find some in the shed. Two tubes, both wrinkled up, split open and bone dry. I tell Calvin, Bishel's hardware will have it. I can pay for it. I've got some dog-setting money from Mrs. Drinker, and there's more coming after Columbus Day. So we leave that bowl sitting as best it sits. In the root cellar, the light shines down the shaft. Might be a little bit better than before because of the curve of that bowl. 
Not sure, but Calvin Chomsky smiles up at it. A nice clear cap for his light shaft. All right, and that is the end for today. Tomorrow we are going to be on chapter 37, The Big Pink Cloud. I hope that you enjoyed the reading today, and I will see you tomorrow.